Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Hey everybody, welcome here tonight. Uh, we have an amazing program, we're very excited. Um, again, tonight's gonna be our 44th share, come out at the one year mark, and uh, Baruch Hashem, this thing is exploding, and we're really thankful to all of our people that watch every week and let everybody know about it and get the word out. Uh, me and Menachem are getting, again, more and more tremendous feedback every week. We appreciate it, we, pre- we appreciate all those people that are uh, posting on the WhatsApp statuses and telling their family. Tremendous chizik, we have a lot of stuff I'm gonna get to in a minute. So uh, I have a big, a big intro today. Naftali, you'll start like 10.30. Let me just uh, catch up. So uh, first, again, anybody who's watching the, 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 the review of this on YouTube, please uh, click the like button on the video and subscribe to Coach Menachem. So every week when the videos come out, you get to get to notified about them. I want to give a special thank you to our, again, to all our advertising sponsors who promote us every week, the Lakewood Scoop over here in Lakewood. We really appreciate it. Thank you to Rabbi Yanif Chazak for sending it out on all the Chazak channels. Uh, please go to chazak.org and check them out. A special thank you to Chayla Kaufman and Shmuel Summer from JCN Jewish Contact Network. For always promoting us across all the Jewish platforms, and uh, Reb Naftali has uh, been plastered all over the Jewish media. So we get we get you out there. Hopefully that one comes tonight. He gets the chizik. Uh, we have a lot of things. Let's put up the wine flyer. So a few things we have to catch up on. There's a lot of things happening now before Pesach. First thing we're starting a, a special three three series shear uh, with Rabbi Yaya Jacobson. He actually reached out to me. He wanted to do this. He feels it's a tremendous need. He's doing a three shear session on dating. Um, the first shear is going to be this Wednesday night at 10 o'clock for the parents. He's doing it together with a good close friend of his, Moshe, a good friend of his, Moshe Zev Lam, big marriage therapist in Muncie, and uh, it's going to be focusing on the parents' role in Shaduchim, followed by March 22nd. It's going to be for the Bachram, and March uh, after Pesach is going to be for the girls. It's going to be very powerful, very, uh, we have a tremendous amount of questions that came in and that he wants to talk about. He feels it'll be a tremendous chizik for everybody. Uh, besides that, that's not the regular Sunday program. That's going to be Wednesday night. Next Sunday, we have a mind-blowing program, but it all came together. Uh, we're supposed to have Rev. Chase Tab come on, um, and he called me up. He asked me if he could do a special thing on trauma. Him and Rev. Shimon Russell uh, started a center together. They're both directors. I'm not exactly sure the details in Detroit. Um, it's helping people with trauma. I don't know the Nyanam so well, but I know it's a powerful thing. They're both you know, leaders in their field, and they asked if they can come on together to discuss it, get into detail. Um, it's going to be Get on early because you're not going to be able to get on. It's going to be an unbelievable shear. And also last week, we just got confirmation from Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky, the Shiva in Silver Spring. He's going to be coming on the week right before Pesach. So we have fully packed shirim, and we're excited. And Coach Menachem will send out to everybody all this amazing stuff that's coming up. Um, a side note again, just want to confirm that Menachem is starting with Shem the book. Naftali, you okay? Besides your book, we're going to put you in a little bit of the book. A chapter, one chapter. We'll have to get the copyright first. <laughs> Nachem, we're going to be taking a summary of all the shirim and putting out uh, a little book uh, with permission of everybody. We'll get to that soon. Um, before we start, I just want to say, um, again, we have tonight one of the Chashua people in the world of finance, in my opinion. He's a walking Musa Sefer in Gelt in the, in the world of corporate finance. Not a lot of people really in our circles have that opportunity to be there. He's been there. He is there. And I uh, can't wait to share his experiences and questions that people have for him. We'll get to that soon. Coach Menachem, the floor is yours. Wow, a lot of information. Welcome everyone to tonight's program on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem and Barsham. Um, I think we're up to number 44. And um, I am getting a little bit of flashbacks, memories of 
last year when we started, it was right after after Purim, when the uh, things sh started shutting down, and uh, Hashem should help that uh, we should eventually get out of this. Baruch Hashem, things are much better. But uh, all the programs, I must say, the feedback is really unbelievable. Every program with every speaker bring, brings to the table what he has to sell, and the feedback is really unbelievable. So Baruch Hashem. Tonight's topic, will I ever be free of financial worries? Is a path to a greater financial security. So isn't that what we all want? Everybody wants to have financial security so that they can serve Hashem, calm, relaxed, everything should be beautiful. Well, it looks like things are different. Hashem has a different uh, uh, way of running the world. And first of all, to get there is not that easy and not everybody gets there. And you have to have the emunah betachen. It's not the money that's, that gets, with it, gets us there. And this is part of our, one of our challenges. If somebody works, goes to work to make money, then it, it won't last too long that he'll experience burnout. After a while, there are, I, I believe, I meet many people that they do go to work and they do what they need to do. But when you talk to them, you can hear that the, the life is missing. They're not into it they're a little bit lethargic not motivated and not even sure where they're going what they're doing my friend called me today and said menachem you don't do financial uh, segments on the show what's this financial thing i said you're right but i believe after reading reb naftali's book that tonight we'll get much more than just financial ideas it's much deeper than that. How much, there's so much more behind finances to understand a person's mission, a tachlis as a yid, to have a clear goal, to understand your beliefs, your own beliefs and the beliefs about money. And the truth is these ideas are really applicable in many areas of life, not only in finance when you go to work, the, the difference is that that's somewhere where you can see it. You can see in the bottom line, you see it much more clear, but it really boils down to inner work that a person has to do. So if somebody wants financial, needs a financial advisor, might get some ideas tonight, but maybe they should go to Friedman and Co. But for tonight, I think it's gonna be a little bit deeper. The, the ideas behind it, the hashkofa and to understand the way Hashem, what Hashem wants from us and what we can do, what, what are the things we need to change, whether it's the beliefs or just to be a little bit more motivated. It can be a little bit of laziness. So thank you, Rabbi Naftali, to be with us tonight and hopefully we'll be able to get some ideas, help us on our path to get closer to Hashem with our finances. Beautiful opening. Uh, let's just start off right away tonight. Tonight uh, we have a special shear. First, uh, one of the sponsors tonight is doing it for uh, the Nishmas, the person's father, who's the yard side happens to be today. The name is Naftali Arya Ben Yosef. The schos from the Shia, from the hundreds of people are going to be mechazik, the thousand people that watch it later. We have big schos from the Shama. Also, sorry, Mindel Bas Avram, Yehuda Nassim Ben Yisrael. Tonight, we have a corporate sponsor, Sal Friedman and Company. 
Uh, Saul Friedman was one of our original presenters. We had a, a mega share. And I was just thinking about it before, when Saul, Saul, when you came on, you remember he's there. We were talking about when then it was the, the crux of the, of the whole Corona thing and everybody was, you know, was afraid it was the end of the world. This was gonna be the biggest recession ever. And Saul, the whole share was, this is only a dip. It's only a dip, right? Simone, you remember that? Yep. Uh, yep, it was only a dip. So uh, now you look back almost a year later, I see he's definitely right, right? Stock market's all time high. Seems like financially things are okay. I mean, I'm not, not speaking for everybody, but uh, it definitely was a dip. So that was a good call on that. And I reached out to him. I said, not sure I have it on He said, I want to sponsor it. And I uh, said, maybe uh, Son was, uh, was one of the partners in the firm. We'll discuss some, uh, give a few minutes over here. So let's start off with that. Um, as you can see, um, I don't want to say over here, um, he was very own sons. Uh, Simone Friedman is a CPA. He's a partner of the firm, Saul Friedman and Company. We're talking about the topic, will I ever be worry-free one of the top accounting firms, top accounting firms in our circles. Simone, maybe a few minutes, give the Oilam some uh, opening words. Thanks so much for the introduction, Usher. Thanks, Naftali. Thanks, Coach Menachem. Uh, a very interesting question of will I ever be free of financial worries? And I'm willing to go out on a limb uh, that Naftali, who is an expert in uh, financial and wealth planning, uh, will not give you the answer of if you will ever be free of worries. Uh, obviously, only the one above knows that. The only thing that we have is uh, to do our established, to do whatever we can to alleviate some of the worries in the future. Um, as an accountant, uh, already over the past 20 years, I have, I have a, a benefit of servicing clients and learning from them and how they deal with uh, these issues. And you learn things from clients, uh, uh, which gives you the experience to advise other clients. And that's really the experience you get over the years. And I found it very interesting how many of our clients have been doing these little things that add up over time, uh, which gives them the comfort in knowing that in the future, they, they have some, uh, a finan uh, some financial uh, answers to questions that they may have. What's interesting to me is that the biggest hurdle to overcome is the mindset, which is when does a person acknowledge that there'll be a time when they're going to need money either to buy a house, to marry off children, to support their children. When you're young, you don't realize it. All you're busy with is making money and investing and reinvesting and turning money. You don't really think of the future. Uh, the earlier you acknowledge uh, that you have to plan early on, the better off you are. Now, early on in your career, uh, you don't necessarily have enough funds uh, to set yourself up. But I think the key is training yourself as a habit to save money. When I mean as a habit is it doesn't mean saving hundreds of thousands of dollars we're talking about on a monthly basis, it could be $50, $100, whatever it is to start saving just to get into the habit as part of your monthly budget is putting money away. If you start off early saving consistently, even at a large amount, when you'll be able to afford it, your habit is going to be to save uh, consistently higher amounts and they all add up. Uh, for instance, I have a client that his uh, annually, he used to always get a refund from the IRS. He had the money go straightly into a savings account. 
he used that refund money as money to be put away. And every year, you know, everybody says I need the refund money and they go and they blow it. It was his Meshagas, that refund money I put away for savings. And over the years, it accumulated a significant amount. I have, I have a client that every month he puts away for each child $50, $100, but he does it consistently. And it continues to grow. And as he can afford more and more, he puts away more and more. Once he has enough money, then he starts investing, going to a financial advisor. But the first key is to acknowledge early on that you have to think about the future. Uh, there's other forced way of savings, whatever it is. Getting over that mindset is the most important thing. Because many times I have clients that are already uh, middle-aged that are now thinking that, hey, I should really start doing something. And I think it's a really good piece of advice for people out there uh, especially if you made a windfall one year, consider that a blessing because that doesn't mean you're going to make a windfall every year. Take money off the table and put it away. But the habit of putting away consistently month in, month out, that is very, very important. And to end off, if somebody works through a budget, just like they budget their expenses, one line item on every budget should be the amount of savings. Uh, to the extent that you take it off your earnings. Make as if if you earn $10,000 a month, make as if you earn $9,000 a month. $1,000 goes away to savings and then work your budget on that. Training yourself with that habit will automatically instinct, you'll have the instinct of constantly seeing how much you can accumulate, how much you can accumulate. And with that, um, it'll at least open up the, the, the possibility of uh, alleviating some of the worries in the future. Um, and if there's any questions, I'm so sure, feel free. Anybody can ask any questions. Let, let, let everybody know how they can contact you, how they can contact your firm. If you can give them uh, a few minutes of your time, let everybody know. Yeah, so our firm is, uh, we're based, we have uh, locations here in Brooklyn. We have locations in Muncie and in Lakewood. Uh, you can go to our website, snfco.com, or you can email me at Simeon. Friedman at snfco.com or our phone number is 718-232-1111. Feel free to ask any questions or get in touch. If you want some consultation, feel free to reach out to us and may you all have lots of atzlach and looking forward to hear uh, Naftali on this. Well, thank you so much for the practical advice. Well, I've just turned to me said, uh, maybe we should start thinking about putting away a few dollars. So I really appreciate it. I really, really appreciate it. <laughs> Um, tonight, again, we have a supposed to have Tully Horowitz here. Um, again, I'm going to say it. Don't, don't be upset if I say it. I happen to have read his book, half of it. It's called You Revealed. Um, I'm going to say it, Vishay you could You could argue with me. It's probably the most financial, most safer out there today. I read half of it. I couldn't read the other half. Just in case you don't see it, make sure it's there. It's an unbelievable safer. The stories here are unbelievable. We're going to try to really cover ground. Uh, between a lot of the questions that came in, um, I advise anybody to buy the book. It's definitely worth it. Um, everybody this year is really negated to everybody. Um, I know everybody wants to ask what probably which stock to buy and how to invest and how to make the millions. I wanted the title of how to make 100 million quickly, but uh, I don't think he wanted that. But anyway, let me read his bio and then let's we'll start. Probably Horowitz is the managing director of portfolio manager at JP Morgan Wealth Management, has ranked a Forbes best in state advisor for the past four years. Probably has lectured to tens of thousands globally on the topics of business motivation, self-actualization, and finance. He's active in Kiev and teaches Torah classes weekly. He recently authored a book titled You Revealed, a Torah path to life success, arts school Masora, and services on the board of several nonprofits. Naftali, the floor is yours. 
Thank you, everyone. <clears throat> 10.30 is not my best hour, but we'll try to give it our best. Well, first of all, um, the book that Ushi held up is now a collector's item because after the first printing, we, can everyone see me? Because I can't see myself, but I'm assuming you can. Everybody, okay. can, everybody can see. Good. <clears throat> Good. So this is what the book looks like now. Um, I had Arts where we do the cover. The first cover was not to my liking. Baruch Hashem, the book's in its third printing. And um, the feedback has been beyond anything I ever imagined. So I'm going to spend about 10 minutes talking to you about my journey. And then we're going to spend the rest of the time together answering your questions. So my journey started just like any other yeshiva graduate. I was learning in Kolel. I started Baruch Hashem growing a family. And before I knew it, I had two little ones and my wife was trying to take care of a family and to earn a living at the same time. And the little voice in my head said, it's time for me to go out and take responsibility for my family. And so I began. I began just like everybody else. I had no clue what I was gonna do with my life, no specific skills to speak of, no college degree to speak of. Um, I had my yeshiva graduate and uh, you know diploma, so to speak, from Lakewood Yeshiva. And I began my career as a print salesman selling commercial printing for my father-in-law's company. I did that for about six years. I became a partner in my father-in-law's business, but I quickly realized that working with family is not always a healthy situation. I also realized that there was much more inside of me that wasn't going to be actualized working for my father-in-law. And so, I started davening that another door should open. And Baruch Hashem, another door did open. If somebody wants to hear that story at some point tonight, I'm happy to say how that door opened. But needless to say, I was doing an honest day's work. I was building a reputation in what I was doing. And people were gravitating towards my work. I was Baruch Hashem making a very, very nice living for what I was doing. But then another door opened. And I decided it was time to move on. And I left and I entered what was then commercial or private real estate. I did that for about a year, a year and a half. And then I was moved into a sort of corporate finance type of a role. Did that for about six years. Was Baruch very successful at that. Started davening again because I felt underutilized. I was earning a beautiful living at the time. And lo and behold, Hashem sent another door. And I was asked to interview at the time with one of the most premier investment firms in the country. I went through 18 interviews and the Rabbani Shalom opened that door. And I entered the world of wealth finance, wealth management. Um, did that at my former firm for 11 years built a tremendous practice six years ago, JP Morgan came calling and I was offered a managing directorship at JP Morgan and that's where I am today. So 
I can honestly say I come from humble roots and that it took a lot of work, a lot of grit, a lot of siyat shmaya, a lot of tefillah for me to be where I am today. And for the past 14 or 15 years, I have been trying to give back as much as I can to Kali Yisrael because I feel the Rabbanisham has blessed me with tremendous abundance in not just what I do financially, but with skills and know-how in the things that I figured out. And I want to make sure that as many people out there are successful because I know the stresses of not being successful. I can empathize with the worries of not being able to pay a bill, the sleepless nights, when there's a credit card bill coming, when there's a tuition bill coming. I still know what that feels like. I still get pits in my stomach when I speak to people and they literally cry in my office and they tell me how difficult it is. And I cry right along with them because you never outgrow that trauma. You never forget what it was like to see your parents struggling to make ends meet. And you know what it's like to enter a scary world with no skills to speak of and try to make sense of it and try to make a way for yourself and your family. So that's just a little bit about my background. What I do in my practice is I tend to the wealth of very, very wealthy families, large um, financial or non-for-profit institutions. I help them with everything that is financial and the money aspect of it is the easiest part. The markets, believe it or not, the bond markets, the stock markets, hedge funds, private equity, options, whatever it is, those are the easiest parts of my job. The real challenge of my job is the emotional and psychological things that money does to people. Um, as I write oftentimes in my book, I have clients on the Forbes list. I have clients that have more money than their great grandchildren could spend, but that doesn't correlate to happiness. It doesn't correlate to fulfillment. It doesn't correlate to peace of mind. The Gemara says this thousands of times, the rabbis tell it to us, but we just don't believe it. We think that money somehow buys happiness. And I could tell you that if you were in my car on Friday, where I spent the two hours before my future son-in-law's off-roof trying to convince a wife to let her husband come back home. And this was a financial war in a family that has no issues with finance. So most of my day is spent helping people make sense of life now that they have all this money, helping them keep their children from going off the deep end, helping them try to avoid estate taxes if possible, helping them plan for philanthropic giving. And it's endless, but also once you deal with people's money, you're intimate with their lives, you know everything about them, they tell you everything. So I'm a well-paid therapist most of the time for most of my clients, which helps me also leverage that for the people that come and seek my advice in all the areas of life. And Baruch Hashem, through lectures and through people coming to my office over the years, 
I've lost track, but it definitely numbers in the tens or perhaps 50 to 100,000 people that I've had this chus of in some way impacting. And Be'ezus Hashem with the book and this, uh, this podcast and other things, my goal is to try to help as much of Klai Yisrael as possible. So with that, Rav Ushi, we will turn it over to questions. Okay, thank you very much. Let's start off with a poll, and then we're going to get right into it, okay? So let's take a poll, just to get a feeling from everybody in the crowd. There's two questions here. I'd like to see how everybody answers. Rav Tully, it's going to be interesting. You can see it. Not everybody can see the answers yet. How do you view your current financial state? Four possible answers. I feel financially secure. Another way of saying I'm a pretty wealthy guy. Option number two, I make a nice living, but could use a little bit more money. Option number three, I, I am living paycheck to paycheck. Option number four, I am in debt. That's the first question. The follow-up question is, if you had all the money in the world, how do you think you would feel? A, I'd be happy all the time. B, I'd be busy with other problems. C, I would be neurotic and nervous that I would lose all my money. Or B, or D, the last option, nothing would change. I'd be exactly the same. Those are the, those are the two questions. So please answer them. Okay, give it five seconds. Okay, everybody, now's the time to turn on your cameras. And we have Rabnathali Harwitz over here, who, who's been, this is his Indian. This is his, he's a, he's a Rosh Hashiva of finance and guilt and Hadrocha. I, a lot of people have very financial questions. A lot of people have Murubatako questions. Rabnathali, we, we could do everything tonight, right? Anything you want. Anything you want, right? Stock tips, everything. Okay, Anything. let's treat. Let's share, let's share the polls, share the results. Okay, listen to this. 15% of the people feel they're very financially secure over here. 40% of the people feel I make a nice living, but I could use more money. 32% of the people are living paycheck to paycheck. 13% of the people are living in debt. So I think we have a pretty financially uh, nice crowd over here. So we did this because we're going to make a raise it afterwards. So everybody, you know, in the top 15%, we're going to send you an email. Number two, if you had all the money in the world, how do you think you'd feel? 13% of the people feel they would be happy all the time. 50% of people, 50% believe they'll be busy with other problems. 12% of people will be ner nervous about losing their money. 26% of people are not totally feel that nothing would change if they had all the money in the world. So uh, it's interesting to see this. We'll get into that shortly. This is, okay, you can, you can X out the screen. And uh, I'll start off with the first one or two questions. And uh, anybody who has a live question, please text me. And let's get into it, okay? First question. I am 31 years old. I was making over a million dollars a year and very successful. I thought I was on top of the world, friends, COVID, everything was running after me. I lost all my money and my business and I'm just a simple salary employee and basically okay with Hashem's decision. I'm having a very hard time seeing my other friends now in the same position I was living that lavish lifestyle, false, big shots, giving tons of tzedakah. Can you offer any advice for my situation? So I'm not sure if his issue is that he's no longer part of the party and that's why um, it's hard for him to see his friends or he's truly reached the state where he realizes that perhaps the Rabbanu Shalom did him the biggest favor in the world by having him fall off that, that epitome of success so that he can restart his life perhaps in the right direction. So since I don't know the answer to that question, we'll try to address both sides of the coin. 
You muted out one minute. One second, I'll tell you, I can't hear you. You muted me and now I'm muted. I didn't want to hear the answer. I just wanted to say the question. That's good. Then we can move on to the next question. <laughs> a person has to always know where things are coming to, from. Um, I write about this in one of my chapters in the book. It's very simple to say, or it's very easy to say that I no longer appreciate that life. And that's why I can't stand other people living that life. When really all it is is kinna and jealousy masked in altruism, so to speak. So I always tell people to ask themselves these questions. So if it's true that you truly decided that life is better lived the way you're living, you're probably not playing the lottery and you're probably not green with envy when you see other people doing things that you would like to do. So if you are not on that madrega, so to speak, the answer is you have work to do. Before you go around judging the world about how they're living, you have to work on your midos and you have to uproot kina and jealousy from who you are. So that's one side of the coin. Let's take the other side of the coin and give the questioner the, questioner the benefit of the doubt that he's realized that perhaps he was taking a very bad route in life, which was being enabled by his extreme wealth. And we know that wealth can derail a person's life. It can enable him to do things that he couldn't have done otherwise. And when everything out there is available to you, well, it's the Yetzirah or the, the lusts of the world are in your reach. It's much easier to go off the beaten track. So let's take this person who actually came to a realization that the Abishta did a tremendous favor for him because he was destroying his life and perhaps the life of his great-grandchildren by setting examples that weren't true to Tyra, by doing things that true, weren't true to Tyra, and he wasn't putting his emphasis on life in the right places. Now that he's reached this amazing Madrega, now he walks around just like Rav Shimon Bayechai did when he left the cave and he saw people plowing a field and he turned them into dust because he couldn't imagine how anybody would be wasting their life plowing a field and, and reaping harvests. And the answer to this question is simple. That's like you didn't want people to judge you, you shouldn't judge them. They are in the Nisayan, you are out of the Nisayan. What you can do is, you can try to teach people very, very um, softly. Perhaps you offer to give chizuk to these people in areas of why we're on this world. Maybe you buy a copy of my book and you inscribe it because it's the first three chapters to try to give a person a perspective on the meaning and purpose in life. And daven for them. Because the Rabbani Shalom can wake a person up in the blink of an eye. Yes, even people with extreme wealth have misyayness. They have difficulties. And sometimes those difficulties lead them to open their eyes and say, perhaps the Rabbani Shalom is sending a message. Perhaps I need to rethink how I'm living my life and how I'm spending my time. So Mr. 31-year-old, whichever side of the coin you are on, there's work to be done. The Rabbanishlam put you here to do work, 
If the work is internal, I encourage you to start right away on working on your kina. If the work is external, learn how to reach out to people, learn how to send them a Dvar learn how to send them a Shir, and try to get them to open their eyes to why a person was put on this world. Next okay. question. Very good. So we'll go to the next question. Is it possible to feel calm and content about what Hashem has given me when I just don't feel I have enough. I have needs and wants that I can't afford, I can't afford, and I know everything is from Hashem, so I just try to accept it and be happy, but deep down, I'm frustrated and annoyed. Okay. Whoever the person that's asking the question is, I empathize with you 100%. So, Every Sunday morning from 12 to 1, I teach a Chavis Halavavis Shir. And it is nothing in this world is coincidental that today we began Shara B'Tachin for the third time. We go through the entire book of Chavis Halavavis. We're on our third cycle. And today, lo and behold, was the beginning of Shara B'Tachin. So the Chavis Halavavis teaches us that this feeling of anxiety, frustration, anger that resides inside of us is a symptom of a disconnect between us and God. Now, what's bringing forth that symptom just so happens to be financially related at this moment. But the reason why it's coming forth is because Hashem knows that we have work to do. It's an interesting thing that in most areas, we can be spiritually deficient and not know it on a regular basis. Versus, whereas in Betachon, when a person lacks in Betachon, there are going to be surefire signs that that's the case. Frustration, anger, worry, anxiety, these are surefire ways of knowing that a person lacks betachem. Now, right now, it's that want or that need that's bringing it forth. And it's very possible that that's the reason why you are not achieving financial success. Because the Rabbani Shalom knows that if he gave you financial success, that worry would go away and you would stop realizing that you have work to do. So it's highly probable that that which you need to work on is actually what's standing between you and financial success. So I empathize with the frustration, the anger, and all of those feelings. And the disconnect here is that your mind knows that God runs the world, but your heart doesn't feel it. Your stomach doesn't feel it. Nobody told your stomach that's in knots because there's a bill coming or your next neighbor just bought something that you can't afford. Nobody told your stomach that Hashem runs the world. And the essence of betachin is when a person internalizes all throughout themselves, it permeates their very being that everything that God does is for the good. And if it was meant for me to have more and if it was good for me to have more, I would have more. And I'm not just saying this, we're preaching this. This is an assignment that I had to overcome for many, many years. 
And until I took to learning and internalizing and meditating on these ideas, I was never free of these frustrations and angers and anxieties. No matter how much money you have, these things will not go away. So I empathize with you. Do the work. Learn. Work on yourself. Listen to classes. Change the narrative in your mind from this is what I want and it's not fair to I owe the Rabbani so much. I have so much to be thankful for. There are so many people that have so much less than I do. There will always be people that have more than me. And if that's going to cause me frustration and anger, then I will spend the rest of my life in that state of mind. And what a miserable waste of a life to live that way. Change the narrative to whatever Hashem does is good. Change the narrative from frustration and anger to going and davening to Hashem and pleading with the Rabbana Shalom. But beginning by thanking the Rabbana Shalom for everything that you have. And only after fully appreciating what you have, then asking for more. You mentioned, you mentioned the word meditating. I'm going to get you on that one. Could you explain a little bit more for, to make it a little bit more practical? People hear that word, usually they, they, they let it out. go. But from you, maybe we can uh, hear a little bit more what you mean. So I was very bold when I wrote my book that I wrote several chapters in meditation, fully expecting Art Scroll to veto it. My backup plan was Feldheim. Um, never happened. I was actually quite shocked. And then I tried something even crazier than that. I put an addendum in the back for some people who even want to study it a little beyond what I put in my chapters. So the concept of meditation seems like a new age thing, which of course isn't. We use the word meditation throughout halacha, it's mentioned in the Gemara thousands of times, but we just don't translate the word to meditation. The word for meditation is kavana. Lechaven. The word lechaven means to align. What are we trying to align when we are being lechaven? Well, if you try to daven Shmon Esrei and you use your brain to do that, I can assure you, you won't get through more than one or two of the brachas before you're thinking about the next meeting, what your wife didn't or did do before you went to shul, and what's probably going on on your cell phone, which hopefully you locked in a cell phone locker before you walked into shul. And the reason why you're losing that battle is because your heart is not engaged in the prayer. Lechaven means to daven with your mind and your heart. And that is essentially what meditation does. Meditation aligns a person. What we said before was, is that the tachon is a, a state of mind. It's also a state of heart. It's a state of emotion. So the word for meditation can be lichaven. It can be to be mizbonein which means to go into deep contemplation, which is also not possible if a person 
has his brain and his, and his heart pulling him in two different directions. So in my book, I teach meditative techniques that are straight out of Torah. And what happens when you meditate is you essentially connect this to this. And you allow information to get past your conscious self and enter your subconscious self, which is where feelings and emotions reside. And it allows a person to take a concept such as Ein Od Mulvado, there is nothing other than Hashem. If a person would walk around as we are instructed in the beginning of Shulchan Aruch, to walk around, Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Samir. I constantly place God before me. If God was before me always, I always felt connected, then I wouldn't be anxious. So how do I do that? I internalize that. I emotionally connect to God. I psychologically connect to God and intellectually. So that's what I mean by the word meditation. It's in my book. It's several chapters, visualizations, meditations. Until I learned how to do this, until I learned how to learn Shara B'tachim with my heart, by the way, Rabbi Yisrael Salanta says this. This is called Musr with Hergish. Musr with feeling. Musr where a person is emotionally learning something. We learn things intellectually. We have to learn things emotionally. When we learn them emotionally, then those mores and those anxieties and the pits in your stomach begin to melt away. It's a process, but it works. Thank you. Well, let's get to some live questions over here. Um, you're on. Um, do you have any advice for somebody who's leaving yeshiva and going to the workforce to plan for his, you know, for financial freedom and how to find the right, the right path? So people often ask me how I got to where I am. And I always answer, not by planning to get there. Um, I think one of the mistakes that people make is that they think they're going to know at 20 or 25 or 30 what they're going to be doing for the rest of their life. They seek out jobs, opportunities that they can see themselves doing long term and something that's going to make them a lot of money. Um, in the words of Nachman of Breslov, a person should focus on the next step. It's very nice to have a plan. I had a friend, I remember we sat around in the coffee room in Lakewood once, and he said his goal is by the age of 30 to be a millionaire. He left Lakewood much before any of us, and that was his goal, to be a millionaire at the age of 30. 30 came and went, he was not a millionaire. 40 came and went, he was not a millionaire, and 50 has come and gone, and he's not a millionaire. And what was wrong with that? Well, there were two things wrong with that. Number one, you can't plan to be a millionaire. There's nothing you can do that will make you a millionaire. Meaning, the number 
is not what you're focused on. What you're focused on is how do I build myself into the kind of person that is worthy of being a millionaire? That's number one. Number two is this is not a project that you plan up front. What you try to do is you try to say, what is the most important area of development that is right here before me? What is it that I would need to learn that is crucial, that is priority one for me to be a successful person? And I wouldn't suggest you put any numbers on that. Just know that successful people are built a certain way. They build themselves a certain way. So if we'll use an analogy of a building, how do I start pouring the concrete for the foundation? What does the foundation look like? So that's number one. When you leave yeshiva, that's the way you should think about it. What are the skill sets that I would need to learn to be able to be successful long-term at whatever it is. I could have never envisioned when I left Lakewood that I would be where I am today. And I would imagine as a Sashem that if I'm on this uh, podcast, whatever you call the Zoom call 10 or 20 years from now, I probably will say that, remember that thing I did 20 years ago? I couldn't have imagined then where I would be today. So I never made it my goal to become what I am today. My first goal was to try to learn and develop the skill sets and the human capital that will take me from where I was, which was at point A, to where I needed to go at that moment, which was point B. When I got to point B, I looked at point C and said, how do I do that? This is what Ramachman says in Lakute Maran, that a person should look at the next step and develop goals how to get there. If you're leaving yeshiva, you should take an inventory of your most prominent skill sets that the Rabbani Shalom endowed you with. If you have people skills, you might want to consider sales. If you have analytical skills, you might want to call Mr. Friedman and ask him what a, a life as an accountant or a financial analyst would look like. If you like to take care of people, you might want to go into a service industry where helping people is important. If you have a head for numbers, you might want to enter finance. What I can tell you is, and this is going to be universal for every single person on this call, no matter who you are or no matter what station you are in life. I realized early on that the most important skill that we can develop is our people skills. And we will spend the rest of our lives working on our people skills, our communication skills, our listening skills, our empathy how we interact with people. This is the first thing that I taught myself. When we learn in yeshiva, we don't necessarily spend a whole lot of time developing listening skills as an example. It took me many years to realize how leverageable listening, empathizing, 
reflecting back things that we just don't do in the hallways of the yeshiva. We yell and scream at each other. We try to outprove each other. We try to outsmart each other. Learning Gemara with the Chavrusa is a chess match. It took me a while to realize that that's not the way the rest of the world works. So working on our people skills is extremely important. Working on our personal skills, our thinking skills, our motivation, our confidence, our um, time management skills, they go on and on. A person should see where they're the most deficient and where they have the greatest deficiencies. They should utilize those efficiencies and they should work on those areas of development. And look at your first job. You can quote me on this, many have, as a paid internship. Whatever you do in your first job, mark my words, you probably will not be doing it for the rest of your life. You're there to learn. You're there to reveal to yourself your areas of development. Excel at that job. I don't care what it is. And develop skills in that job so that that job, which is point B, can then be a springboard for the job that follows. And after about four or five jobs, hopefully in your mid to late 30s, or maybe three jobs, depending on what you're doing, you will earn the right to do something that you've always dreamed of doing. Next question. Let's go to the next, another live one. Hi. 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 Thank you so much for taking my question. This is more um, some practical approaches. So between paying tuition, making some chaz, yantif, there's not one extra dollar to set aside. So where do you find that extra dollar when you barely have enough as it is? It's something you should be posing to Mr. Friedman. <laughs> but um, what, what I have found is if you leave saving for the last thing on your list, there will never be an extra dollar. It's it, unless you are making so much money. I know people that earn hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and have not saved $1 for retirement. Saving is a muscle that you have to learn and you have to practice it. I don't care if you're saving $10 a week, $30 a week. It doesn't matter what it is. We learned this in the Torah from Yosef HaTzadik, who taught the Egyptians how to save. You save whether you can see yourself doing it or not, and you leave it to the Rabbanish Shleilam that somehow at the end of the month, it will work out. So I know it's difficult, but if you save something, you suck it away, preferably in, an, in a retirement account, so that there's a big whopping penalty to take it out. You can set this up with Vanguard or any of these other online sites. You have to look into the future. You have to know that there's going to be a day when you're not going to have the strength to work as hard as you do today to make ends meet. And the longer the money compounds for you, the more it's going to grow. So, so I'm sorry to interrupt. I just want to ask, like, practically, where could a person pull it from 
if let's say $50 and that $50 would go towards what at food, like mortgage, you know, how, how do you, how do you learn to find that $50? It could be very difficult for a person who, um, you know, never learned to budget. It, it would be very difficult, but it would not be impossible. If your boss called you in and said that I'm cutting your weekly paycheck or your monthly paycheck by $150, you would somehow figure it out. The problem is it's difficult. And because it's difficult, we just don't find room for it at the end of the day. So what you should try to do is, you should try to have a certain amount of money, leave your account, on the same day that you get your paycheck. You can set this up with Vanguard, it's very simple. They'll pull as little as 10 or $20. Whatever it is, that's how you will start to discipline yourself. I don't know the name of the person that's asking, but whatever your name is, think about it like this. I can assure you that if you don't learn to exercise that muscle now, even if you earn 10, 20% more three years from now, you will still find yourself with no money to save. This is why 401k plans inside of companies where the money is grabbed before it hits your bank account is the most successful saving mechanism there is. You can set up a forced saving account the same way through Vanguard into an IRA Put away whatever you can. You will see it adds up, especially if you're young. You compound that in the market. Learn to discipline yourself. I, the Rabbanish Loan will figure out the rest for you. Saving for retirement is a prudent, responsible thing for everybody to do. Powerful words. I just want to say one other thing. Me personally, like I see a lot of things that people do for a given and you can cut out. I mean, I'm, I'm just gonna talk personal. Like I used to go Shabbos, I used to spend a hundred dollars and buy kokosh cake and buy all these extras. I just cut them out. There's so many things that we do that we don't need to do to the max. Just saying my own personal. I have, well, <laughs> okay. This is a question I'm going to the other, we're going to the other side a little bit now, okay? So this is from a wealthier person. He says, me and my group of friends are high flyers. We do big parties. We fly private, we go to Orlando for Pesach, we do all the fancy hotel programs. We've been in Dubai three times already. We live the lavish lifestyles. I'm giving large amounts of tzedakah as well. My wife has been telling me to stop the craziness and try living more normal lifestyle, but I am close to my friends and they're all, this is what this is the way we're living together. Please give me some adrocher. Is there something wrong with what I'm doing? I'm giving more than 20% miser. Ouch. Uh, be a little rough on this guy, whoever you are, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to be rough on you. Um, what should I tell you? Um, you should find new friends. You are what we talked about before. Well, let me just start off by saying you can't pay your way into a lavish lifestyle by giving 20% of your money to tzedakah. I don't care if you're giving 80% of your money to tzedakah. 
You have to appreciate that you didn't come to this world to go to Dubai. It's beyond me how anybody can go to Dubai, <clears throat> go anywhere lavish when they know that people are on respirators and that a big portion of Klai Yisrael doesn't have Parnassa and that there are thousands of Jews in Eretz Yisrael right now who don't know where their morning bread is going to come from. So just the concept of Arvis and the concept of feeling the pain of others should alleviate this drive, which I understand where it comes from. Listen, I work in that world, I live in that world, and I can, Baruch Hashem, partake in that world because I can afford to. But I, it's beyond me how a person could go through their life thinking that the ephemeral, temporary pleasures of this world are the reason for our existence. As I write in my book, the Rabbanu Shalom will not allow this to go on forever. The Chayi says this, that a person is given abundance and he feels that that abundance belongs to him. He's a fool. Those are the words of the Chayi he is a tipesh, because if a person has more than they need, there is no limit to tzedakah. Sure, you're not supposed to give away 50-60%, but you're also not supposed to be flying around the jet setting and going to Dubai. And I will tell you that I heard this from many gedolim, that in a time of great financial stress, a person is allowed to give away much more than 20%. So stop and think about this. The next time you're about to get on a jet to go someplace lavish, think about what the money can do for a family in Meisha'arim who doesn't have shoes for Yantif or doesn't have matzah. And it's not about writing a second check. It's about feeling for that person and not getting on that plane. And ultimately, you have to sit down and you have to learn about the meaning of life and understand why you're here and why you're not here to the point where such behaviors will become disgusting to you and you will literally become allergic to them. And this isn't Musser from me. This is straight out of the Mesil Sisharim and the Chayos Levavis and Rav Dessler and everybody else. It's also in the Torah. The Torah says that when you fatten yourself with the pleasure of this world, ultimately you disconnect from the Rabbanu Shleim. So you marry a very wise woman. I encourage you to have the confidence to change. In fact, perhaps if you change, your friends will change. All of you are probably saying the same thing. I can't change because everybody else is doing it. Well, guess what? Somebody has to take that first step. And the one who does will get the reward of everybody else that follows him. I would encourage you to change the trend amongst your friends. That a more simple life that is more rooted in Tyra and more rooted in the meaning of this world will become the new norm. And you'll see that your friends will respect you because you've checked out of the proverbial rat race and you've taken a higher road for your life. Listen to your wife. It's usually a good recipe for success. In this case, it really, really sounds like that's the case. Good, 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump to one other question quickly. I have a lot of live questions. Let me jump to this one. I, Baruch Hashem could say, back to the successful people. I, Baruch Hashem could say, I'm very successful, make a lot of money. As I'm reaching my 50s now, I'm realizing I cannot part with my money. I barely give enough tzedakah or help people out on the level that I really could. I, I, and even when I spend a few extra dollars, it gives me extreme anxiety. Can you give me any advice on this? And I thought of this question. I remember the story from the book, from Sarah, the one, who, you know, the, that one, if you could elaborate, I think it will be great. Yeah, this is a painful, painful, painful thing, Mr. 50-year-old. But Baruch Hashem, you're asking the question of 50 and not at 80 or 90. It's very, very sad that there are people who own their wealth and there are people who are owned by their wealth. You are not a balabayas over your money. Your money is a balabayas over you. There are people who cannot spend a dollar. There are people that cannot give away a dollar. And there, as the Chavis Baba says, it's, it's the wealth becomes your downfall because you have abundance, you are miserly, and you're holding, it on, you're holding on to it to yourself. Only at the end of your life, perhaps, will the Sutton allow you to realize what a wasted opportunity. So to everybody in this room, just like saving is a muscle, is a, I'm sorry, just like saving is a muscle, giving money away is also a muscle. The Altafel Kellum was known that he had a daughter who was very, very stingy. And every day she would sit on his lap when she was one or two years old. He would take a few kopecks, he would hold the pushka, and he would put the kopeck into her hand and have her say tzedakah and put the money into the pushka because he was encouraging her to develop this giving muscle. People have this fallacy that one day when I have enough, I will give money away. It's just another tactic of the Satan because it's not true. It doesn't get easier to give away money when you have a lot of it. I can give you a thousand rationalizations why you will never give away money no matter how much you have. Trust me, I struggle with them all the time. So the first thing I would encourage all of you is to start developing this muscle when you're younger. If you don't have money to give away, learn how to give away talents, learn how to give away time, learn how to give away your kaychos, your energy to help other people. Get into the mindset of giving. Mr. 50-year-old or Mrs. 50-year-old, whichever one you are, you have to start somewhere. Don't try, in the words of the Piyasetsna, to do something that's very, very painful for you. Do something that is a little less painful for you. Start to expand your pain threshold. Start by making a Kabbalah. A Kabbalah means you write something down on a piece of paper. You sign your name to it. Perhaps you photocopy it and you give it to your Rav. And you tell your Rav that I want you to check in with me every 30 days to make sure 
that I am doing what I accepted upon myself. Set yourself up, as I write in my book, for humiliation. It's a very, very successful strategy for any goal-setting endeavor. So let's say that goal should be to give away $500 a month. That's not a lot of money for somebody making what you, earning what you're earning. It's probably at the very low end of the spectrum. If you can see yourself doing a thousand, do a thousand. Make a Kabbalah, photocopy it, give it to your Rav, and ask him to check in with you in a month. If you did it after a month and you didn't die, you can up it to 1500. And that's the way you're going to expand your giving threshold. I also encourage you to segregate an account that is specific for tzedakah. You cannot move money out of that account. You can only move money in and you can only write checks for tzedakah. In other words, rip off the band-aid in one shot. So if you undertook to took $1,000 or $1,500, set up a charity account. It can be a regular account, but just move the money in one fell swoop. That will be the pain. Now, write checks for tzedakah and see how good it feels. Because once you've moved the money into that account, you have mentally accounted for it as giving it away. The checks will now feel good when you write them. You will start to experience the real pleasure of what it means to help another Jew. You want to share that story or save it? Buy the book. Buy the book. It's a story that was actually The story was the essence of not being able to depart with a dollar. The story was the essence of a woman who had such ridiculous abundance and no place to give it because the only heir that she had, she wasn't even on good terms with. She was a woman who had a tremendous neshama. She was not religious. I had a very, very deep relationship with this woman and I can motivate her to do anything and everything except part with any of her money. She ultimately went to her grave. She never parted with a penny. There's no school named after her. There's no orphanage named after her. She left this world with close to $400 million. And at the very, very, very end, while she was lying in the hospital, dying, I couldn't even get her to put a million dollars into a foundation. And so she left this world and she knew up until the very end that her Hashem was going to be very, very disappointed with her. But she couldn't write that check. It's a very sad story. She left no Zecher and this is what she left this world. And unfortunately, I've seen this story recounted many, many times. It's very, very sad for a person to take nothing with them to the next world, to leave it all here when they go. We never want to be that person. We should constantly remind ourselves that the only money we truly own is the money that we give away. Wow, okay, I have a bunch of live questions. Let's, let's go. Benny, you're on. Question, a person busy with his job, if it's a sales job or whatever he's doing, how does he know what his next step is and when he should take that step? 
He should take that step when he feels there's nothing left to learn <clears throat> in what he's doing. And he keeps banging into a ceiling where his earning potential is being stymied by the industry that he's in. I felt this twice in my career, perhaps three times, where I felt that there was no more challenge to what I was doing. I used to tell my wife that I felt like I could leave my brain in the night table when I went to work every day. When I was working in corporate finance, at some point it became mind-numbingly boring. I was earning a beautiful salary, but there was more vistas out there for me to conquer. And why not, as I write in my book, why should somebody else climb to the top? Why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't the Rabbani Shalom give me the bracha that he gives to others? So when you start to feel like you've plateaued, when you start to feel like you have maxed out your skill set and what you're doing, I encourage you to sign up for a bigger challenge and make that leap. And know that this is what the Rabbani Shalom wants. He wants you to keep working on yourself and growing. Why not? Why shouldn't every single person in Klai Yisrael be a giver? So that those people that don't have will have more. We're all out there for a reason. We have many people in Klai Yisrael who cannot go to work for whatever reason. We have moistness. We have organizations that need to be supported. So... There's nothing wrong with a person saying, I've reached the max. I'm looking for another challenge. Perhaps Sir Bernstein will bless me with more. I took that leap several times in my life. I did it for the right reasons. And Baruch Hashem, it's paid off. And I encourage people to do the same. Many people don't want to, uh, they're scared of the Nisayan, of having more money. Right. What would you tell a person about that? So as I write in my book, <clears throat> building yourself into a vessel for wealth is something that you start day one. If you're not working on yourself, once you have the money, it's too late. Like every Nisayan, you have to work on the Nisayan before it comes. When it comes, it's very difficult to work on it. So if you start preparing yourself in advance by learning things like and constantly reinforcing why you're on this world and what's important, and you don't constantly look to upgrade your life and materialism, and you live below your means, and you start to learn how to give away more and help others more, then when the Nisayan comes, Be'ezus Hashem, you will be well prepared for it. Gotcha. Okay, let's go to another live question. We have a bunch over here. Okay, you're on. Okay, so um, first of all, thanks so much for taking my question. And um, I want to just go in a little bit of a different direction. Um, I'm a single girl, um, mid-20s. And I'm still living at home and I don't have so many um, responsibilities right now. Um, I was wondering what you suggest that someone like me do with their money, either, you know, I'm, I mean, I do give obviously tzedakah, you know, as much as I can, but um, to like, what extent do you think that like, should I save my money? Like, obviously, like, you know, I have a savings account, but like, should I save my money? Should I, you know, invest it? Like, what do you think I should do with it? 
So the Medrash says that the, um, <clears throat> the namal, the ant, squirrels away food, right? In the hopes that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to give him a long life. And perhaps he will need this food for a long life. And Shlomo Melech tells the Atzel, the lazy person, to learn from the namal, to learn from the ant, and do the same, to be diligent. So Be'ezus Hashem, one day you will have a family. One day you will need a house. One day you will need tuition, braces, camp, and so on and so forth. So the Rabbanu Shalom gave you abundance in a time when you don't need it. And as Yosef HaTzadik, as we said, instructed the Egyptians, you should start to put this money away. So I encourage you to read a good book, to learn about investing, learn about the markets, learn about index funds, prepare yourself to become an investor. Money that you invest in the markets, whatever the markets are doing today or tomorrow, if you leave it there, you diversify it, I recommend you put it into broad-based index funds that you can purchase at Vanguard. It's not very complicated. You can buy the Vanguard Total Index. You should start small, put perhaps a tenth of your savings into the market, see how it feels, develop a stomach for it, and then put another 10% in and work your way up to the point where you have an investment account, which you keep adding to and growing. And Mitzvah one day when you need to call upon this money, it will have multiplied several times and you will have a substantial amount to do something momentous with it, such as purchase a home or as a down payment of the home. So definitely allow your money to start working for you. Money sitting in the bank is an Avera. It's losing purchasing power to inflation and it shouldn't be sitting there unless you need it for a very short-term need. There's a few questions over here. I'm gonna- Okay, thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. We have a few questions I try to combine into one question. What do you say to parents these days of teenagers that are obsessed with buying all these expensive clothing, items, toys, and it's, it's a demand on the parents. He buys for me, everybody else has it. How could we mechanic our kids today that money doesn't grow on trees? So the first thing is that you have to live that way. If you're buying yourself all the latest toys, then don't expect to tell your children that you shouldn't have all the latest toys. Children pick up these vibes from their parents in many, many instances. People come to me and they complain that their kid wants the latest who knows what, while the guy just parked a Tesla in my driveway. So that's what we call a stira. And children will pick up steers all the time. That's number one. Number two is you have to sometimes be very cognizant of who your friends hang out with, who your children hang out with, who their friends are, what school they're in, what camp they go to, and so on. If you put your kids into the in-camp or the in-school and they're hanging out with the in-kids who are getting all the things that um, they can't afford to get. Naturally, there's going to be this tension between the parent and the child. But that tension, unfortunately, 
was placed upon this child by their surroundings. The third thing I'll tell you is, is that you have to constantly be enforcing or reinforcing and teaching your children about what's important in life and teaching your children the difference between needs and wants. Firstly, you have to know yourself what a need is and what a want is. Needs are finite. Wants are infinite. The Rambam says in Maranevuchim that there are several types of challenges or stresses that could come upon a person. He says there are those that are placed upon them by society, such as anti-Semitism, pogroms, some that are placed upon us by circumstance, such as health issues. But he says the vast majority of the stresses of life, we ourselves bring upon ourselves, says the Rama Menor Nebuchim, by living above our means and seeking out more and more things that we don't need, but that we want. It's such a powerful, true statement from the Rambam, and this was written in the times of the Rambam. I think today it's more true than ever. We have to teach our children where happiness comes from. We have to let them taste true fulfillment. So I'll tell you all a story, which I love telling. I forgot this story, but my child reminded me of the story when he spoke at his own Shevardrachas. So my son comes to me one day and he says, Tati, I need new sneakers. And I say, okay, your sneakers are ripped. He says, no. I said, they're too small. He says, no. I said, so why do you need new sneakers? And he says what every teenager says. Well, I didn't get new sneakers this year and all my friends are getting new sneakers, right? Now, that's a classical conversation with a teenager. He's going to camp, and shame on him if he goes in an, yes, last year's pair of sneakers, or even the spring pair of sneakers, I don't know. His sneakers doesn't have shocks. They don't light up when you step on them. They don't have some basketball player endorsing them. Whatever the new trend is, his sneakers fall short. So I realized quickly that I can't make this about money because my son knows that Baruch Hashem, I can afford to buy new sneakers. So Hashem put the following thought into my mind. I took out whatever it cost, $200, $100 from my wallet. At the time, I think it was $100. And I said, Yitzchak, how much is a pair of sneakers? He says it's $100. I said, he has $100. I said, but before you go and buy yourself sneakers or go with mommy to buy your sneakers, I want you to stop and think about the following. You have a choice now because I gave you $100. This is your $100. It's not mine. You can do one or two things with this $100. You can buy a pair of, yourself a pair of sneakers that you want because we have just established that you do not need them. Or you can buy two or three pairs of sneakers for a child in Israel who actually needs a pair of sneakers. And I'm leaving that choice completely up to you and you do not need to tell me what you decided. I gave my child 
the power of choice. I empowered him to make his own choice. The next morning, he came over to me and he asked me how one would buy shoes for children in Israel. And I knew that I had made an impact on him. When you engage your child in the positive impacts of what money can do, when you show them how meaningful the trade-off is between fulfilling a shallow need or want versus a true need for somebody else, and the child tastes that, the child will develop a different sense of taste. If you give a child a glass of Cabernet wine, you would expect him to spit it out and say it tastes disgusting. When you give him a glass of Coke, he says, yum. Why does a bottle of Cabernet cost $200 and a bottle of Coke $1.79? Because Coke is cheap and wine is valuable. But the child doesn't know the difference. The child appreciates the sweetness of the Coke until you train him to upgrade his taste buds. You can upgrade your child's taste buds by taking him to a toy store and buying toys and bringing it to a, a family who just lost their father or mother to COVID and allowing your child to go into the home and give out toys to these children on Hanukkah who don't have a mother or a father. My wife and I did this on Hanukkah several times and my children became addicted to the point where they wanted to give away the toys that we bought them. But how's your child supposed to know how delicious that is if they've never experienced it? When they learn how beautiful it is to give versus to spend on oneself, they will upgrade their taste buds and they will drink more wine and less Coke. Oh, that was totally powerful stuff. Okay, let's go, Zev, you're on. Thank you very much, Um, So I want, I'm trying to get into this business where it's hard to make money, a music business, and I kind of have a hard time seeing myself doing much else, um, but my parents, unfortunately, are not as supportive as, uh, as I would like. I just, I even spent a lot of money recently to produce a song in a music video. My parents are still a little bit iffy and they're making me get this degree in sociology, which I'm not really a fan of. And I'm just trying to, like my parents constantly tell me, you're not going to make money in the music business. You got to get a, uh, get a job that's going to make you money, be a social worker, something like that. I think you can do very well in that. I just... I don't, I would rather, I don't see myself doing that. Um, I really, I, I got into music sense grade and it's just kind of has taken over my life. And I'm just wondering, like, I don't want to disappoint my mother. I think keeping up my aim is very important. But yeah, I just like, music is like, has kind of been my life. And I understand that it's very hard to make money and that I probably won't make money because I'm not Simsaline or, or Maraka Shapiro. So what exactly advice would you have with that regard? So, Zev, I, I empathize with you because my passion is to be a Rebbe and teach. It's my passion. I was learning Rebbe when I was 15 or 16, and I was hooked. 
And I love teaching. And I do, I teach. I teach constantly. It's my passion. I want nothing else to get up in the morning, go to a cheder, go to yeshiva, teach boys at risk, teach children who are bewildered by the world and do nothing else until the sun sets at night. Um, but I knew that that passion and that amazing sense of fulfillment wasn't going to support my family. And there's a part of us that wants to follow our dreams, but there's another part of us, or there should be another part of us, that is kicks in and sort of brings responsibility to the forefront. I'm sure, Zev, Mirza Shem, you're going to be married, you're going to have children, you're going to have all of the uh, bills that come with the wonderful life of having a family. It's the greatest schus in the world to have a mortgage and tuition and dentists and camp and all these other things. And the Rabbani Shalom doesn't want you to bury this amazing skill. The Rabbani Shalom did not want me to bury my teaching skills, but he wanted it to become a side job. In fact, for me, it's not a job at all because I don't charge for it and I never did, but that's because I can afford not to. But I would encourage you to think about this as a passion, which is great. It may become a side job. It may be relegated to a hobby, but you should never let it go. And you should create music. It's a beautiful expression. It brings simcha to the world and it's unbelievable. But your realistic side spoke for a moment and you said, I won't be Simcha Lion or whoever else you think is, has made it in the world of music. And if that's true, then you have to start preparing for being a responsible husband and parent. And this is what your mother and father are encouraging you to do. However, I would also encourage you not to allow others to impose upon you what you should be doing. My father, Zechariah Novrath, wanted me to be an architect. That was his dream. I think he wanted to be an architect, so he wanted to live vicariously through me. Well, I didn't want to be an architect. And I sat down with him and I explained to him why. But it's not enough to tell your parents what you don't want to do. I encourage you to seek out something that you perhaps do want to do. So here's just an example. I'm not saying it's relevant to you, but perhaps if you got into the business of teaching music at some point, you can turn that into a business. Perhaps if you started a music school, but before you do that, you have to step out into the world. You have to learn about how businesses run. You have to learn about sales. You have to learn about communication. You have to learn about client service. And maybe one day the Rabbanishal will bring you back and the Zev Neth Music School will be one of the most famous ones out there. And JP Morgan will take you public for your first IPO. Okay. There's an interesting question. The person is struggling with paying the bills <clears throat> and a lot of life challenges. And the belief in his mind is that when he has the money 
all of his challenges will fall away. So he, he is anxious and he's working very hard and looking forward to make a lot of money because of all his challenges. Well, 50% of the people said that they realized that making all the money in the world will only bring more challenges or different challenges. Well, he knows that too, but deep down. Deep down. So, of course, <laughs> we all think that. And the truth of the matter is that money does bring alleviation of many challenges. There's no question about it. It's a wonderful thing to be able to afford what you need. It's a wonderful thing to be able to give money to those that need. And Ashiras or wealth, or even just having enough to have Menuchas and Efesh is a bracha that I wish upon every one of you. And I have no question that the Rabbani Shalom wishes upon every one of you as well. And we have a lot that we can do to make that a reality. Being angry and frustrated and jealous are just destructive forces that sap us of energy, sap us of motivation, and so on. The Rabbani Shalom could bring bracha upon anybody at any time. The Rabbani Shalom does not lack for money. The Rabbani Shalom does not lack for abundance. As I write in my book, the Rabbani Shalom is waiting for us to build ourselves into a vessel. But you have to also appreciate that with money comes many, many challenges. Not the least of which is that the Nisayan to do the right things with money are going to be very, very pronounced. They are very, very difficult. Just to give you some of them, it's my hard earned money. I remember when I had nothing. So I have to have a lot of money just in case, God forbid, I'm that Mr. 31 year old who was making millions and now is taking a salary job and living hand to mouth. I don't want to ever be that person. So I'm going to build a war chest. And believe me, the Sutton will never allow that war chest to be enough in your eyes because then you're going to start worrying about your children having enough. And then you start worrying about your grandchildren having enough until you're just going to hoard for the rest of your life. That's a very, very powerful challenge. Another powerful challenge is that when you have money, everybody wants it. And it becomes very tiresome when people are constantly badgering you to give them what you have. And you become bitter. And you start to question all your friendships. Why do people want to be my friend? All they want is my money. And people become angry. And they become reclusive. And they withdraw themselves. How pathetic, how sad is that? It's a terrible Messiah. They don't judge anybody. But... Some of the collectors that come to my door say that 90% of the people in the big, beautiful mansions don't open a door ever. So that's a terrible Nisayan. I don't think too many people want to be in that situation. So we convince ourselves that that won't be us, that we will be magnanimous and we'll have an open hand, but maybe the Rabbanu Shalom knows otherwise. So we should all make kishtavas to earn more. 
We should spend our times wisely, learn skills, develop skills, work on ourselves, try to upgrade our human capital as much as possible, seek out opportunities, take calculated risks to be able to move up in the world and earn more. And constantly dive into the Rabbani Shalom that those opportunities should come around and that the Chas Shalom should not lead to our spiritual downfall. And we should constantly reinforce ourselves with the Tachin and Amuna that the Rabbani Shalom will bring to us what we need when we need it if we do the work and prepare ourselves for it. We have just a few more questions. You want to, you want to, and now just um, people are just texting very strongly. Are you uh, time constraint? Sorry, a few more, and then I'm literally going to collapse on my collapse on okay. my screen. My niece is was on this call. I don't know if she still were, and she opened up the chat by asking me why I'm not preparing for a wedding. Yeah, somebody told me you're making a wedding Wednesday night. Wednesday what? night. Wow. Wednesday night. Yes, it's fine. Okay, Thank let's take a few more. A serious nefesh to come on tonight, like tonight, air of the wedding. It's fine, Baruch Hashem. What's the next question? Okay, we have okay. Which one? Okay, let's do this one and then we'll do the live one. Okay. I have a good job, and me and my wife make a nice pranasa, but we don't cover all the expenses between tuition, all the you know, all the from people here tonight understand that. I would love to go on my own. I'm open my my open my own company, but my wife claims it's irresponsible. After all, I make more money than most of my friends do. At the same time, I'm not covering all my expenses. We're falling in debt, and we don't feel any way out. Can you give us any words of advice? I think this is relevant to a very big percentage of people in our circles. Okay, so the first thing is you have to understand why you're not covering all your expenses. Because if you're not covering all your expenses because your expenses are growing with your income and you keep inflating your standard of living, then you will never find financial security. That's number one, and that is extremely important to everybody. When we say we're not covering all our expenses, we have to sit down and truly understand where all the money is going. I know people who are in 250, $350,000, $450,000 a year and are in debt. And they say, should I take the risk? Should I go out and do this? Should I go out and do that? Well, the answer is, what's the point? What's going to happen is you'll earn 650 and your expenses will grow up to 750 and you'll be back to where you are. So that's number one. If that's not the case, and you are truly living a balanced, relatively frugal life. You're living at or below your um, standard of living. Then I say to the wife that if everybody said that, then there would be no wealthy people. Sometimes we have to take calculated risks. If we're not earning enough and we've sat down and we thought about what we're going to do and how we're going to do it, then the answer is, yes, you should go for it. You should seek Eitzah from somebody in whatever it is that you want to do. You should squirrel away enough money so that you have a fallback plan for a couple of months to make do in the time that it takes to build up whatever it is you're trying to build up. But just because you're making more money than most people you know, doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to earn more if it's what you truly need and if you're doing it for the right reasons. So this is something you really have to speak over with somebody who knows your situation, but you have to come to that person 
with good data. You have to sit down, you have to budget, you have to see where all your money is going and make sure that there isn't a hole in the bottom of the cup that's just gonna keep letting whatever it is you pour in flow out someplace. I'll tell you a real story. In 2008, when the market crashed, somebody came into my office who was earning $3 million. And the way we earn our money on Wall Street is we earn a percentage of our fees. The market was down 50%. So the poor Schaeffler was only gonna earn about a million five or a million six that year. He walked into my office and I can honestly tell you that he was having a panic attack. And I asked him what the problem is. And he said that he doesn't know how he's gonna make it. I said, what's the issue? He says, what do you mean, what's the issue? My, my income is gonna be cut in half. I said, but that's gotta mean a million and a half dollars at least. He goes, of course, he says, but I can't live on that. I said, you can't live on that? He says, no, he says, just my country club memberships are a half a million dollars a year. So I said to him, I feel very bad for you. Of course, he's not a from person. He is Jewish, unfortunately, but not from. And he says to me, Mark, how are you going to do it? I said, well, I came to this firm. I was earning a quarter of a million dollars or $300,000 a year. And I had five children at the time. Now I have six, Baruch Hashem. So I figure, and at 250 or 300, I was saving money. I can probably get by at $200,000 a year. I don't think the market's going to get that bad that I'm going to have to make do on that much. So the point I'm trying to make is, is that this is so important for people to understand. It's so easy to constantly inflate your spending as you earn more. And I encourage you all to truly focus on what you need and save as much as you can. So if this person is earning enough and he's blowing money on things that are just going to inflate with his new business and Mir Hashem's new earnings, he's going to be having this conversation with me in a year or two from now, and it's not going to be much different than it is today. Great. Well, I just want to say one word. I heard a long time ago for Bishra Reisman. I don't know if you ever heard it. He said, what's the segul to become an oisher? You ever heard this one, Rabbi Tali? So the guy comes home, he, he's making whatever, $100,000 a year, he gets a $25,000 raise. And he comes home, he says, honey, I got a $25,000 raise. You know, I don't want to say anything, but, you know, the kitchen, it's time to redo the kitchen. You know what I mean? Baruch Hashem, we're making more money. So wife says, you know, now that you mentioned that, the truth is really, you know, we haven't taken a trip in a while. So I think, you know, maybe we should do that. He says, you know, also between you and me, the car, it's a little bit the muffler. We're going to have to tune up. It's time to get a new car. Said that $25,000 raise, of course, already over, over $50,000 to $100,000. The best school to become rich is to shut your mouth and live the same lifestyle. Exactly. <laughs> okay, let's go to closing. And we'll uh, 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 a little chizik if you have anything left in you, if you have any questions. But uh, let's go. First of all, Mark Horowitz for coming on tonight, giving the oil a tremendous chizik. Money is, is obviously a big part of our lives. And uh, there's so much more. So many, I'm being honest, we have so many questions. I got emailed and text. I have another 50 questions here tonight. So um, definitely got to come back again for round two. Okay. Appreciate you coming tonight. Uh, again, uh, subscribe for the sponsors tonight that helped tonight. So uh, tonight's uh, sheer discuss helping with the hundreds of people here tonight. Much of the thousands of people that watch it. Today's somebody's yard said, Natalie Aryeh ben Yosef, Sar Mindel Basavram, 
Yehuda Nassim Ben Yisrael, and also our corporate sponsor, Saul Friedman and Company, who uh, not only is a, not, not only is the president, but is a client also. So he was also on the share. And anybody who needs any financial advice or guidance, definitely go to them. They're, they're tremendous. They're, they're great people. We know them very well. One of the one of the one of the children of my neighbor was very close with them. And uh, again, just reminding everybody, we have a bunch of shiurim coming up this Wednesday night. We have a three-part series where Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson starting Wednesday at 10 o'clock at night, talking about dating shiduchim. The first shiur will be focused on the parents' part, followed by a shiur for the bachrim ben azmanim right before Pesach, and then there's going to be a shiur for the girls. Uh, it's going to be a powerful program. Next Sunday, March 14th, we're going to have a dual match of Shays Taub and of Shimon Russell discussing the issue of trauma. Come early, get a seat. It's going to be a powerful event. Please be here or be square. Everything recorded tonight on MenachemBurnfield.com. Any questions, please email CoachMenachem at gmail.com. We'll forward everything to him. If anybody has questions directly to him or needs anything, we'll be more than happy to send him the information. Um, again, tonight's share number 44. Everything will be pre-recorded. And if anyone wants to call up on the phone number, the number is 848-777-GROW. If you want to hear it, Michelle will be up there tomorrow. Again, I'd like to thank all the advertising sponsors of Lakewood School for promoting us here in Lakewood. Thank you, Rabbi Anif Chazak, Chayla Kaufman, Shul Summer, JCN. And I want to wrap up and say thank you for coming on tonight. Thank you, everybody, for here tonight. And share is Baruch Hashem Gavaldik. And uh, the Ilm's getting tremendous chizik. Coach Menachem, closing words. And like we heard, I think tonight wasn't, uh, was a lot of self-actualization, just the awareness. Um, I know many people will uh, have a hard time figuring out how to um, start uh, working on their muscles, whether it's the muscle of saving or the muscle of giving and uh, how to work out the, between the logic, between the, the head, by knowing that Hashem runs the world and he sends what you need, but deep down, yeah, there's anger and struggle and you're not happy so to be able to connect that. There's a lot of work and like we heard by learning um, I know there's a lot of from the Vizetsna in the book, and like we heard, uh, there's a lot of inner work, a little bit of meditation. So I want to get a shkoyach and Naftali and the Mazel Tov, Asach Nachas, in our Chovas Adas. We should be able to help call Yisrael. Shkoyach. Thank you, Amen. Thank you so much. You want me to finish? If you have, if you want us to end off, we can just say goodnight. Whatever you want. You want to live off. Give more I'll give you Dvar Mayotzimilev. You have two options: either give us a stock tip or give us chizik. One or the other. No, so I'm, I, I'm going to just wrap up everything that I said and give you Dvar Um To those of you that are young and starting out, I just want to say that everybody starts at the bottom. When everybody starts, it's scary and it's confusing. Been there, done that. There's road ahead of you. It's an enjoyable road. It's a difficult road. But the toils of the road are what are going to make you into the great person that you'll ultimately be. And one day, Bezos Hashem, you will be on this Zoom call teaching others how to do the same. For those that are middle-aged, it's never too late. It really, really is never too late. In the beginning of my book, I talk about the Mr. 48-year-old who thinks that life's over. This is the worst of the Sutton's poisons. Do not believe because there's gray hair on your face 
maybe some wrinkles, but somehow life has passed you by. You've gained wisdom, you've gained experience. It's never too late to turn things in a different direction. And to all of you, I have to stress and cannot stress enough how much davening works. Parnasa comes, is mentioned throughout the davening. And I used to daven so hard and still daven so hard for Parnasa. In Shema Kaleinu, in Baruch Aleinu, I've added every single tefillah there is to add to the Shemon Esrei to that for Parnasa. And I composed my own, which I can say in my sleep. Maybe I sat I composed my own tefillah Takarish Barku for Parnasa. And whenever I was walking into a meeting and I was afraid of losing a client or not getting a client, I would quietly say this tefillah to myself. Try to wash once a day. Try to have real kavana when you say the words of benching. I've learned to open my hands when I say constantly daven windfalls doors open the Rabbani Shalom can make anything happen try as much as you can to place your trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and you will not be able to imagine the amazing things that will happen to your life. Live Shalai Hateva and things that are Shalai Hateva will happen to you. It's, it's doable. It's been done. If I can do it, if others can do it, so can you. Don't let Yish and despair become your friend. Let it become your enemy. Become allergic to it. And train yourself to be positive and optimistic and a person who's driven by betachin and HaKadosh Baruch My bracha to every one of you is that one day you should be in the position to teach others how to do it. And you too should be able to say, if I did it, so can you. Good night. Good night, everybody. See you everybody Wednesday night, 10 o'clock, and Sunday night, 10 o'clock. Thank you very much again, Rabbi Tali. Thank you.